Hi there, good morning and welcome to Crossword Online. Welcome to the Sunday's talk. Uh, we are carrying on in the book of 1 Samuel and this week we are turning to 1 Samuel 26. Uh, I will be reading just a short passage for us this morning out of 1 Samuel 26 and just to get us thinking and uh, then what I'll do for us is I'll pray and we'll take a look at uh, what the Lord's Word has to say to us this morning. So let me read for us and I'll pray and then we'll look at God's Word. 1 Samuel 26 verse 8 Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, The Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come and he will die. Or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. So David took the spear and the water jug near Saul's head and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all asleep. Because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we've had to be able to work through this book of 1 Samuel and all the various aspects of kingship and the idea of uh, kingship that we see, but ultimately how we see it fulfilled all the more in Jesus Christ. And when we look at this world, it's so broken. And when we look at 1 Samuel, we see kings that uh, excel and fail time and time again. There is never a constant about them. But yet when we look at Jesus Christ, we find a perfect constant. That he is the one that we can hedge our bets on. That we can depend on. That we can trust in that we can rely upon in the darkest and most difficult of moments in our lives. So gracious Father, I do pray that as we look at this passage this morning, that it may fill us with a joy in the reality of who Jesus Christ is as our Lord and Savior and the King of Kings. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, great. I'm glad that we get to look at this passage this morning. Uh, it's quite a strange passage in light of what we have been looking at. And so because of where we've come from, I think we need to just pause and consider uh, the previous two chapters in light of this chapter. If you recall two weeks ago, we looked at chapter 24. And in 1 Samuel 24, what we found was that David was hiding in a cave as he was fleeing for his life as Saul was hunting him down. And Saul entered this cave to relieve himself. And David snuck up on him and cut a piece of the garment of Saul's robe off. And this uh, this 
actually really disturbed and bugged David. It upset his conscience. And so he called out to, to Saul and revealed to him what he had done uh, as he realized that he cannot uh, take or cut off at least the piece of Saul's robe. As it symbolized very much of what Saul had done to Samuel uh, when, Sa- when Saul grabbed Samuel's robe and ripped it. And so, so, so David was incredibly upset and, and agitated by what had happened, that he would have tried to take matters into his own hands. And so this unfolding uh, sequence of events have been taking place in chapter 24, 25, and now we find 26, where there are opportunities of taking matters into your own hands. And we see David with these moments. If you recall, last week we looked at uh, David uh, as he he's still fleeing, but as he runs and finds someone to perhaps help him, and he comes to Nabal, the fool, uh, and as he comes to Nabal, he asks for help, but Nabal is unwilling to help, and uh, David gets hot-headed, and he wants to once again take matters into his own hands, until Abigail... Nabal's wife comes along and and reminds him of who he is and of who the Lord is and what the Lord is busy doing. And so uh, David relents from his pursuit of Nabal and doesn't kill him. And so he is humbled. And so if you recall last week, we really highlighted the fact that we are dealing with David, a king uh, who God is preparing, who is anointed as king but who God is nonetheless preparing for for kingship. And as God prepares uh, David for kingship, uh, he also needs to humble David at times. Uh, You have Saul who pursues him, and David flees from Saul, but through it he needs to restrain himself from not taking matters into his own hands. And when there is someone that isn't Saul, he even then has to restrain himself from not acting and taking matters into his own hands. And so this is part of the issue. We are dealing with David, who is a human being, who is fallible, who struggles with the very reality that sometimes life gets to a point where you feel like you just want to take matters into your own hands. But it's not that simple. It's not for us to simply do what we see fit, but that it depends on the Lord and what the Lord's plan and the Lord's purpose is. And so as we consider this passage today, it unpacks that even further. We take a look at David here again, and he is tempted once more to perhaps take matters into his own hands. As it seems as though Saul is, though Saul is tempted to kill David, uh, it seems though as Saul is being used almost more instrumentally by the Lord at this point. As Saul doesn't really play much of a role other than well, being asleep and actually not really being active because the because the Lord has willed it and the Lord has done that. If you recall in our reading, it actually says that nobody saw or heard anything because the Lord had put uh, Saul and all of his men into a deep sleep. So it really seems that Saul is quite instrumental uh, for David's 
humbling for David's character development and for uh, what God's plan is for David. Uh, And this is significant in this passage, at least in light of the three passages. And and so to read this passage on its own wouldn't make a lot of sense. And there's not a lot really happening in this passage. But to really see uh, how it unfolds in light of the overarching story. So if you remember 24, David was still a little bit reckless in his actions. Uh, And then last week he's hot-headed and he needs to be humbled by someone. And this week the question is, well, what will David do when he is tempted once again? And this time with Saul, someone that has been trying to kill him. And if you can just think about the context and the picture that gets painted, it's such a, it's as if in one sense, yes, God is using Saul instrumentally to further, uh, further David's training to become a king. And yes, it does seem that uh, Saul is uh, in a very vulnerable position. God puts him to sleep. But the temptation, here's this person that has been trying to kill you. And there he lies in such a deep sleep that he won't stir and wake up. And the spear that he has been pinning, trying to pin you with, is lying right by his head. It's no wonder that, that David's servant says, here's the opportunity. Let's do it. I will strike with one shot. I won't need a second strike. And I will kill him. Here's the opportunity. God has delivered Saul into our hands. Let's take this opportunity. And how does David respond? He turns to his servant and he says this. Let's read those words again. Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Or his time will come and he will die. Or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and the water jug that are near his head and let's go. David withstrains himself. He he holds back that very desire, the temptation to kill Saul on the spot. And he says, no, no, no. If I've learned anything, at least from the reader's perspective, if David has learned anything over the last two chapters and now this chapter, it is that it is for the Lord to do and act in that way. And especially when it comes to Saul. Saul is the Lord's anointed. The Lord had anointed Saul to be king and Saul is still alive. And David, for this instant, this moment of clarity, he is able to say, hold on, this is not for me to decide. The Lord will deal with him. Either the Lord will choose the day that that Saul will die or uh, Saul will Uh, die in battle and so it comes across as actually rather prophetic of what is going to come if you know the rest of the story Uh, David's words here ring true uh, of the very reality of what is going to transpire for Saul but David sees he has learned there's a lot of that language actually in here where David sees he sees uh, and the language of hands Uh, that this is not for him to take matters into his own hands. Though it seems that the Lord has handed uh, Saul over. But David looks at the situation and he says, this is not for me. I will not touch the Lord's anointed. It's impossible to touch 
the Lord's anointed and not be guilty. If I do anything to Saul, I will be guilty. And I am not going to be guilty and have Saul's blood on my hands. Perhaps it's Abigail's words that are at this point ringing in David's ears. Don't get unnecessary bloodshed on your hands. And unfortunately, the reality is a time will come where David will get unnecessary blood on his hands. And it's for that reason uh, that many other events transpire. It is for that reason that the temple will not be built by David's hands, by himself, because he gets blood on his hands. But as for this passage today, it seems that everything just runs smoothly. It seems as though those Saul and, and, and David come to a meeting point uh, hunting perhaps for one another or whatever the intention behind why they are seeking one another. If you read the passage, you'll see Saul hears about David uh, it, and, and David here, he sees Saul has come to look for him. And so they, they hunting for one another in some way or form. Perhaps Saul's intentions are a little bit more malicious. But David nonetheless rocks up in Saul's camp at night. And the opportunity presents itself to kill Saul. But unlike the previous time or times, however you want to look at it, uh, Saul, the event that happened with Saul in chapter 24 and that of Nabal uh, in chapter 25, we have this section in 26 where David realizes that it is not for him to take matters into his own hands. But instead, what he does do is he takes the, the spear and the water jug that are lying next to Saul's head. Uh, and there's a couple things that I think is for us actually quite interesting. The fact that uh, David does take the spear, I think, is quite significant. Uh, he takes the very weapon that he could not only have killed Saul with, but also the very weapon that could have killed him, he takes from Saul. Uh, but it is interesting that this is not permanent. Uh, David is willing to give that very weapon back uh, to Saul, and Saul will once again be in pursuit. Saul is set on killing David, but this is and this is not the end. Uh, but yet, for us today to look at this passage, all things seem to be calm. The waters have stilled. The waters are calm, and here uh, it seems that. The Lord is definitely at work in some way or form, but it's far greater, uh, or God's work is far greater in the, in the direction of building David's character as a king. David has to grow and learn how to be a wise king, not one that ruthlessly just takes lives however he sees fit, but to be patient, to wait upon the Lord. Let the Lord work and do how the Lord sees uh, how the Lord sees things should should happen. As for the rest of this passage, uh, that David and his men leave the camp uh, and go on to the other side of what seems to be a valley between him and Saul, and they wake up the camp, uh, starting with Abner waking him and saying, "You haven't looked after your the anointed king. You haven't looked after him. You haven't protected him." Because look, I've taken his spear and the water jug that lay by his head. I've stolen them. And for that, you deserve to die. And this is significant. Remember, Abner being quite a ruthless person. Uh, and, and perhaps it's the very reason uh, 
Perhaps this is part of the reason why David has done what he has done, to prove that Saul's men around him are not necessarily to be trusted. Uh, Abner is a ruthless man, and he is not protecting the king like he should. Uh, and David, uh, as David is shouting, it seems as though Saul awakes from the slumber that he is in, and he comes out and he hears this voice and he says, David, is that you, my son? Uh, he calls David his son once again. Uh, and uh, this is just something peculiar that we must pick up. Uh, when Saul is often angry, he refers to David as the son of Jesse or detaches himself uh, from David. And perhaps one would have thought that he had done it once and for all a couple chapters ago. But it seems as though once again here we have um, Saul referring to David actually uh, as uh, his son. And this runs through to the very end of this chapter. And David says, look, I have your spear and your water jug. Uh, and so uh, I've spared your life. And what is Saul's response? Well, as Saul considers, he says this in verse 21. Listen to these words. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son. Because you considered my life precious today, I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. There is the fool. Uh, he has acted like a fool. He has acted like Nabal, uh, as we saw in the previous chapter. Here he acts like a fool. Um, and it is significant that uh, we consider that this is... Um, at least highlighted by what we have been looking at over the last couple of weeks, if anything. We see the foolishness of Saul. We see the foolishness of his actions uh, and what he has been doing. But yet the question is, are these words true? Is Saul sincere about what he is saying? Is Saul genuinely sincere? Well, we've seen time and time again that that doesn't seem to be the case. Saul keeps reverting back. He keeps uh, forgetting what he says. Uh, and then David gives uh, Saul his spear back. He says, send someone to come and fetch it. I will give it back. Uh, which is perhaps interesting for us to just glance at. Uh, it is the weapon that, uh, that Saul has been using to try and kill uh, David for no, re no legitimate reason. Um, and so David is not one that is going to hold on to that weapon. He is going to give it back. Uh, and perhaps that is a sign uh, for us to just glance at that this is a, a moment of uh, the extent to which David has grown in his humility. That he gives back the weapon of a coward, uh, of a wicked uh, king who is set to kill uh, the newly anointed king. And so David uh, sends it back. He says this as well. Uh, pick up what it says in verse 23 the lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness the lord delivered you into my hands today but i would not lay a hand on the lord's anointed as surely as i valued your life today so may the lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble um, and so david really recognizes that actually well what he has done has been the right thing he's acted righteously while um, he as he has spared Saul's life. Uh, and then we have this last kind of rather anticlimactic ending to this chapter. 
but it ends like this in verse 25. It says, Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. Uh, so David went on his way and Saul returned home. It's rather anticlimactic because here it seems everything just fizzles out and everything's okay. Uh, David has grown in character. He has shown uh, meekness when he could have killed Saul. Instead, he spares Saul's life. He acts righteously in that sense. Uh, And on top of that, Saul relents. He doesn't attack. He doesn't try and kill David. Uh, In actual fact, he says, may David be blessed. And he reiterates something that he has already acknowledged before, that God is going to use David for great things. Uh, And so um, we find that they just part ways. Uh, David goes one direction and Saul in the other as he heads home. Uh, And so this passage doesn't seem to be eventful in the sense that nothing particularly profound happens. But in light of the last of the three chapters that it sits in, chapter 24, 25 and 26, we see the growth, the development of a king that needs to grow uh, in humility, in meekness, uh, in self-restraint, that he doesn't act purely on his own desires and instincts, but instead that he waits upon the Lord. So a rather significant passage in light of that. But what do we make of it for, for us today? What do we do with a passage like this? Well, in light of this passage, the first question that perhaps needs to be asked is, well, do you recall... Uh, two weeks ago, uh, as we looked at chapter 24. Uh, How have you responded since then? How have you really weighed up uh, what has taken place? Uh, Have you been in a position where you've acted trying to take matters into your own hands? Or perhaps, like last week, have had to be rebuked and humbled in a situation? How have you been doing over the last two weeks? Have you been able to walk in that consistently? Have you been able to succeed in walking humbly and meekly when you feel that life uh, infringes on your rights, on what you desire, on what you want? Have you been able to withhold your urge to take control of a situation? Uh, Or have you been getting frustrated? Have you had moments where you want to take matters into your own hands? So, first question, have you? Have you been able to grow in your humility and your meekness over the last couple of weeks? Have you had opportunities to, in fact, grow in humility and meekness? As I would assume all of us have, uh, week by week we have challenges. And I think what we really get to see here in chapter 26 is that there are times where we do get it right. There are times where we can uh, be humble, where we can be meek, and where we can surrender uh, our desires into the Lord's hands and say, Lord, it is in your hands. It is in your control. Uh, But we need to be reminded of that. And so perhaps in light of the last two weeks, looking back, to really ask yourself again, I've heard the, the lesson But how am I applying what I've been learning over the last two weeks and now this week? 
Am I practicing what I'm hearing? Am I practicing the lessons that I am uh, engaging and, and experiencing that the Lord is teaching me? Am I putting them into practice? Am I walking in meekness? Am I walking in righteousness? Am I walking in humility? Or when those opportunities present themselves, do I simply do what I see fit and take matters once again into my own hands? How consistent are you in that? Perhaps the next question is, how consistent do you think you will be going on from here? This week coming, do you think you are going to get it right? To walk in meekness, to walk in humility, to walk in righteousness. Do you think you'll be able to get it right? Do you think it's possible? Now, I'm not saying, I'm not asking the question to say that it's impossible. But I'm saying perhaps to consider the the reality that we struggle to do it on a regular basis. Just when you think you get it right, you stumble and you trip up. And you fail. And so often I find myself in that position. Where I'm getting it right one moment and the next it sneaks in. And and I'm able to be tripped up. Where I want to take matters once again into my own hands. Well, the question is what's going to happen next week when we look at the next passage. Uh, We will see perhaps a far deeper reality of David's humanity. Because the real question is, has David really got it? He is demonstrating meekness. He is demonstrating righteousness and humility, perhaps at this point. But will he continue to get it right? Well, for many of you, you may be saying, but I know David's story and he doesn't. He doesn't. Yet, he's God's anointed. And so for us today, when we look at this passage, we think, but David should be getting it right. Or at least better than what I am. But the reality is David is fallible. He is like you and me. Perhaps this week he's getting it right. Like you did. But don't bank on it. Don't bank on the fact that David is going to get it right. Yes, David may be the anointed king. And yes, maybe he is the Messiah, small m. Maybe he is, as the story unfolds. But he doesn't do it and get it right like our Lord and Savior and King Jesus Christ does. Remember last week, we considered the passage uh, where, in actual fact, David becoming king, he had to be humbled to become a king. And, well, this week, in actual fact, we are reminded that Jesus Christ did it perfectly. So where we get a glimmer of David getting it right, the reality is Jesus got it right to the very end. He didn't have to be humbled. He came humbly. And the meekness that he demonstrated and the righteousness that he demonstrated was not so that he could simply be trained in righteousness and meekness. Not like David. Jesus got it right. Perfectly right. So perhaps the next thing that I do want to say is, this week coming, the chances are good 
that you and I are going to fail, to want to take matters into our own hands instead of trusting in the Lord and waiting upon Him, it's a good chance that we will fail at that. But here's the good news today. The good news is that Jesus Christ has done it perfectly. Jesus Christ came into this world humbly. He lived a life that was humble, that was righteous, that was blameless, that was meek, with all power and all authority given to him, he came to serve. And the question is, is that good news for you? Knowing that though he got it right, he died for us who get it wrong. Because this week, we will fail. And next week, just like the week before, we will fail time and time again. But it is good news for us to know that Jesus Christ got it right. So that he sets us free from the moments where we try to be our own kings. Where we become like the Nabal who sits in his, his mansion or in his kingdom or in his world thinking that he is a king. Instead, we get to see Jesus Christ and recognize that he has rescued and saves us from our own destruction, from our own failures, from our own inability to live a perfect life. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't try. But the reason for us trying is because Christ has already done it. Because Christ has already gone before us, we joyfully try to live a life that is righteous, that is meek, that is humble. And when we fail, we fix our eyes on the Lord and recognize that He is the only one, the perfect Lord, King, Savior of our lives. So with a rather plain passage like this one today. Perhaps it will challenge us to think a little bit more deeply, at least in light of chapter 24, 25 and 26. David had to grow and develop his character to become a king that was humble, meek. But when we think about a king like that, our minds should take us to Jesus Christ, who not only got it right, but did it for you and me. Let's pray. Well, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are the true King and Lord and Savior of our lives. Merciful and meek. Wonderful Savior. King and Lord where we think we are those things in our lives, may we experience the reality through the trials and challenges that we face, that we will never measure up to Jesus Christ. 
but that we find a joy in resting in who he is and what he has done for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that today we may trust in the humility and meekness of our Lord and and Saviour Jesus Christ, who does what we fail to do, who is the better David, who is the perfect King, who is the one who gives instead of takes and gives abundantly for this we praise and glorify your name in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I hope this uh, stirs you, gets you to contemplate and go back and read uh, chapter 24, 25 and 26 as a whole and think about it again and really consider, are you working out your salvation, working at it and enjoying it because of who Jesus Christ is? May you have a wonderful day. And we hope to see you all soon. Cheers. Bye.